Okay. Cool. And cool. our voices are still being recorded. Yeah. We're okay. tech wizards. Tech oh, wizards. The Tech Kids Club. We're changing it to the Tech Kids Club. <laughs> and it's actually just a podcast about tech decking. Do you guys? What's that? They're the little finger skateboards. Don't you remember those from like junior oh, high? Yeah. <laughs> They're called tech yeah. decks. I'm sure you're gonna have to cut like weird slamming doors or people banging on other people's doors. Because these walls are, like, paper thin. <laughs> it's been fun. In your monastery? In my monastery, yep. That's where I'm coming. <laughs> I'm live from my my monastic cell. It's Aaron. You're breaking your vow of silence? Absolutely. I just couldn't take it after two weeks. I yeah. do sit in, like, near silence for the entirety of the day <laughs> while I'm looking at skeletons. <laughs> I'm in a room basically by myself, just occasionally Aww. chuckling at podcasts. Yeah, I think you'll hear. I think I need to take off my earrings because <laughs> the <you're>... jangling. <laughs> oh God, okay. this is a disaster. Are they clip-ons? <laughs> yes. I don't have your ears are pierced. pierced? Wow, I had no idea. So Did I you know that I didn't. I uh, <laughs> I had my ears pierced from the age of twelve to the age of sixteen. And then what happened? Uh, then it started hurting, so I had to take oh. them off, and they grew. So I hadn't had earrings in for so long. So when I put these on, I kind of felt like I'm a man in a dress-up. Because it was, like, too much. You're too in much drag. Too feminine stuff. <laughs> that, yeah, I don't normally have. <laughs> you should do, like, big drag queen makeup. Um, I mean, Taya, my best friend, she loves drag. All of it. And like her past, like her anything, anytime she just wants to watch something on YouTube, she just watches drag um, makeup tutorials. Yeah. And then she's like, Does taking, she try it? She doesn't try the whole drag, but like takes tips and tricks from it for her own daily yeah. makeup routine. But not like gluing down her eyebrows and redrawing them. No, like no, 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 no. <laughs> but I really want to Maybe go to one a drag day. show. Hmm? Have you been to a drag show? No. I want to go. I did in college, but it was like a college drag College, show. yeah. <laughs> I've never been to a show, but my uh, neighbor across the street from my parents' house, he does drag. And is apparently like, there's like some royal court of drag queens in, in Alberta, and he's on the court. He's a very high-ranking member of the drag <laughs> community. Of drag queens. Which is cool. <laughs> That's so cool. The town that my parents live in has like a really big gay population and community and um, there's a club where there's like drag nights and stuff. They do cabaret and every year they have this event called the Uphill Drag Race, is what it's called, <laughs> where drag queens or anyone wearing high heels, and it's always around like Halloween time, it's this race where they have to run up a hill in high heels. That's... And I think they have to, like, carry a pumpkin or something and then run down. And everyone from the town, like, comes out to watch it. That sounds amazing. It's great. Yeah, yeah I love it. You need more of these in America in these times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just do that in Texas. Are there men in high heels? Yes. I don't want to be, like, say the wrong thing. Drag queens, <laughs> people not in drag. Just, like, wearing their, like, basketball shorts and, like, a t-shirt and their hairy legs and, like... <laughs> big high heels and they like people like really run like sprint up this hill it's like a steep hill it's like the steepest hill in town that's pretty awesome 
we just really don't want to get into the topic of the day. Well, it was a real downer. It's, it is a downer topic. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So, okay, guys. <sighs> Welcome to the Benefits Club. Hello. Hello. Marie here. Lisa here. Aaron there. I'm I'm here <laughs> for me. He is here. Here's here. Here's there. <laughs> They're there for them. Or for me. <laughs> there, there, and here, and there. <laughs> and the topic we want to talk about today is horrible. It's horrible. It's pretty awful. But there is a reason we're doing it. You didn't tell me any reasons. You just were like, this is our topic. It's because we're going to that thing. Yeah. So we're talking about mass graves today. And it's not fun. No, not at all. No. no. Most of them are from war crimes. Yeah, generally war crimes or like horrible disease. Or disastrous. Yeah. yeah. Disasters as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't have good massacres. No, I did watch a cool documentary about one, though, that I'll talk about after. Oh, good. Yeah. And the reason why we're doing it is because we, there is this thing happening in October in London called the London Month of the Dead. Mm -hmm. And they have different events and things like that. And we are going, Lisa and I are going to one next week. About mass graves in London, sort of the reasons why, and it's we don't know yet. We haven't been to the talk, so we're gonna talk about the talk after we see the talk today. We're just kind of this is a primer on mass graves. Yeah, you know what I always think about when I think when I frequently think about mass graves. Remember in Amadeus when Mozart dies, like towards the end. Did yeah. you guys see? Yeah, we used to watch it in band class every year. Yeah, me too. Such a good <laughs> film. And they're playing Mozart's Requiem, and it's super dramatic, and they have that like carriage that's like driving through the countryside or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so his body's in this like coffin, but the coffin has like a trap door at the back because they tilt something up, and his body slides into like a, a big pit because that's how he was buried because he was like super poor when he died. Oh, yeah. And I always remember that. It's like at the very end of the film, but before the like creepy cellulary stuff. I do not remember this. It's been probably about 10 years since I've seen that movie. Long Definitely death. possible that I'm making it up. <laughs> I think I watched it when I was like 13 last time. So that's for all the real Amadeus heads out there. Yeah, like me. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so that's all I have for today. <laughs> Tight. You're in <laughs> So it's, uh, these are our notes from our, one of our forensics classes that we took. So it's forensically themed. Yeah. Um, but there are mass graves that we find in archaeology as well. The term mass grave is just a widely used term, but often by people who don't really understand the context, like, like the media and, and news and stuff like that. People just sort of say mass grave all the time. But a better definition that, that we can all kind of use is, is we could consider it a grave that contains the remains of more than one victim who share some common trait um, connected with the cause and manner of death. Yeah. So that's pretty much what a mass grave is. Um, this lecture that I'm looking at goes on to talk about like the history of, of violence and war crimes and atrocities, and it's just horrible to read. Um, so obviously... There's a lot of history of violence where, where mass graves were used, like um, genocides. And battles that we don't in need to go into. Well. Yeah. Um, because they're horrible. But 
The International Criminal Court, um, which was established in The Hague in July of 2002, it facilitates um, a cohesive and effective process of forensic investigation of crimes falling under the mandate. It has the power to exercise its jurisdiction over the most serious crimes of international concern, and it has jurisdiction over genocide, crimes against humanity, war crimes, crimes of aggression. I think it's just like allowing for um, like thorough forensic investigation of mass graves. Also from an international perspective rather than sort of national. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of what I read yes. um, talked about how there's this push for a more like standardized methodology in it in recording these mass graves just to kind of ensure that there is this international standard that people are held to when they're investigating these things. I think the issue that we need to point is that it's extremely difficult to excavate a mass grave. Even if it's archaeological mass grave. Absolutely, yeah. A more recent one where you're sort of dealing with non-skeletonized remains. Yeah. Because it's commingled and the stratigraphy just isn't straightforward. Um, and you need to document every single thing you see and every process you make. Um, and it makes it very lengthy and difficult to do. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And in the modern context, so much of what's going on is with regards to victim identification. So like in an archeological context, like of course there's going to be commingling and stuff, but there isn't this same sort of like medical legal um, importance of like maintaining sort of the integrity of that. Obviously they want to try to have as like detailed and sort of thorough excavation as possible in archeological context. But with the modern forensic stuff, like, they need to keep everything together in order to, like, help identify these people. Yes, and to to show to, like, the courts and just the world in general, like, how horrible these war crimes were. It's yeah, a, absolutely. And if it has to be documented perfectly because it's something that you bring to court. And it can be questioned legally mm-hmm. in, at a court. It's, it's, it's an evidence that is given to the court to show crime. Certainly. Um, uh, the, the rates of decomposition within mass graves are incredibly variable. And you could have one in a very similar place and climate to another where after a year, one of them is completely skeletonized and one is almost not at all, just because there's so many different factors yeah. in it. Um, also, you'll get a lot of differential decomposition depending on where each body is. So the ones in Within the center. Within the mass, yeah. Yeah, I've read about that as well. Like the ones at the edges will be so much different than the ones in the interior of mass. And then obviously it depends on how many individuals are in in the grave as well. And sort of whether or not they're laid out in a line versus in a heap. Yeah, definitely. The ones in the center tend to be better preserved than those along the fringes. Okay. But it, again, it really depends on how, how much they're in contact with each other and entangled. And Yeah, it makes it difficult to, to get the post-mortem interval because there is such a variation, um, which is kind of what you need 
when you're excavating a grave, mm-hmm. you're, that's what you're looking for, um, and it's difficult to do. Yes. Absolutely. But I think in, in these cases, when they know it's a war crime and they know who was in charge of it and everything, it's it's less about getting... It's different than a, than a regular clandestine grave because I think the post-mortem interval is less important and what's more important is identifying the victims and bringing, you know, justice and, and some closure to the families of of the victims. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, usually with a something like a, a war crime like that, there's sort of a documented or known sort of time frame for when the conflict was occurring, right? Yeah. Well... Not Some always, of them when but... we're talking about a war crime, yes, but loads of um, current mass graves are in Latin America as a consequence of the drug war. Definitely. Um, and those sort of because they've been going on for so many years, they keep finding new mass graves, and with those you're not you don't you're not sure how old this one is because. There's just so many, and these crimes keep happening. So yeah. the same location could have a mass grave of different age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they will yeah. want to know then the, the postmortem interval to try to see who was maybe in power at a particular time or like what gang was in the area and stuff like that. Also, what victims? Yeah, I guess because um, if you know you have a missing person from two years ago and missing person from five years ago, if you find a um, mass grave that you identified to be sort of three to four years old, you know who isn't in it. And you're mm. more likely to know who is in it. That's true. Yeah. Yes. Um, we just have to take a little break. Yeah, we'll go on a break. We'll go walk through meadows and you will have an amazing promo to listen to from us from our friends from the southern spirits podcast you know them you love them and if you don't know them you will subscribe (laughs) here they are hey y'all i'm leah lawrence i'm her husband mitch lawrence and we host the southern spirits podcast each week we'll sip on a southern brewed craft beer or wine and toss back a southern distilled liquor and i'll let y'all know how i feel about them with a review and after we are good and tipsy i'll bust out a couple of strange spooky tales from the american south we are all about true crimes, mysteries, paranormal activity, and cryptozoology. Basically, if it's southern and boozy, we'll drink it, and if it's southern and weird, we'll talk about it. So join us as we drink our way through the folklore of the South. Find the Southern Spirits Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Bye, y'all. Aaron, do you want to tell us about the documentary you saw? Okay, so um, in classic dead kids club fashion i started off by just googling mass grave documentaries and like the second (laughs) one that comes up is samurai mass graves so of course i click that one um does it have tom cruise in it (laughs) no unfortunately not but it's from the 1300s uh a battle in 1333 in uh town called uh kamakura which is 48 kilometers south of tokyo um and so this documentary is also it's a it's called um 
Samurai Massgraves Warrior Graveyard or something like this. And it's a National Geographic documentary. So it was like pretty well produced and like from a reputable source. Um, but so it's a, from a battle. So it's a war mass grave. Um, and it's, was originally found when they were bulldozing land to build a car park. So like a lot of archaeological sites. Um, <laughs> Most of them, yeah. There are thousands of skeletons in these mass graves. There are a few separate little graves around um, what was like the beach at one time. Um, so it was a battle between like uh, the sh military dictatorship um, led by the Hojo family and then the other side coming in and invading was um, from Kyoto and it was like the Emperor Go Daigo and um, so these uh, the Emperor didn't like how powerful this military dictatorship was getting um, so he invaded to try to stop the Shogun there so yeah there's thousands of burials and they all show like signs of trauma consistent with like katana and like arrows that were um used at the time and what was the thing before the arrows katana what's that the the japanese Thin sword long sword oh yeah so there's some cool stuff they do there's a few skeletons that are separate from the mass grave pile but one of them has like evidence of sword trauma um some sharp force trauma that's like consistent with sort of the ritualized combat of like a one-on-one -on -one duel which was really neat but then like a lot of the skeletons in the mass grave pile show evidence of decapitation which like at the time Whoa. they would have to sort of prove that they killed these like members of the like the leadership of the clan or whatever they would have brought the the heads back to their military leader so they didn't even find the heads in there yeah there's like separate heads in places and stuff like that but yeah so like that's one aspect of these mass graves is like looking at the types of trauma that are there to see like how these people were killed um like whether or not it was a battle or whether there was maybe like executions at the graveside and stuff like that but these ones all bear pretty consistent signs of like battle trauma and um yeah and they were just like the the, the regular soldiers in the in the army were they able to tell if they were all put in in like around the same time or was it over a really long period of time? Do you think? Um, they posit that like a few of the graves that are separate might've come before like the major battle there, but it's a siege, I guess, of the town. Like it was a little walled town called Kamakura. Uh -huh. And there was a battle in 1333 um, after like a period of sort of civil war and stuff. But yeah, they think that they're all from this final battle. Wow. Would it be crazy to excavate if you have different heads and stuff? Like that? Yeah. Did they say what they, um, like, what they did after excavating them? Did they, like, bury them um, again somewhere else or something? They didn't say that in the documentary. Like, obviously, in the doc, there was, like, the osteologists in the lab looking at the, the skeletons and the trauma and stuff. But they didn't they didn't say whether or not they had reburied them. They think that, so another reason they think that these are all just like the military kind of foot soldiers is that nearby in like the hillsides, there's all these marked 
little graves that they belong to like the samurai so like more higher ranking members of the army um uh-huh. so they got like i think proper burials but like just the the regular troops were just thrown into these mass graves there are a few other like wow. parts where there's evidence of decapitation and like they think i mean they stretch it a little bit in the documentary that they're like oh these are separate from the pile because they're they were higher ranking people who were ritually executed here and yada 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 like i didn't buy that Do they know they were ritually executed i mean there's a lot of obviously contemporary historical sources that detail like the the warfare practices and like the, the protocol for like the defeated armies and stuff like that um but basing that just on these two skulls that were sort of separate from the the other pits i think was a little bit of a stretch but i don't know it was a good documentary overall it was kind of there was do you want to say the name yeah it was called um samurai mass graves uh warrior graveyard is it just on youtube yeah i just googled mass grave documentaries and it was like the third one that came up (laughs) hang on let me find the actual title uh warrior graveyard samurai massacre so it was like a pretty flashy title all right i actually have an archaeological mass grave as well an example okay just a quick one i don't have a lot of info about it but it's sort of like an interesting way to excavate a mass grave so it's a paper by Niklisch et al 2017 it's fairly new and it's from Germany, and they um, so the uh, the paper is called the face of war trauma analysis of a mass grave from the battle of Lützen, sixteen thirty two. So it's a a battle that was part of the Thirty Year War that was in Europe, okay, okay. Uh, during which loads of people died. So they it found it in Germany. In Germany, okay. They found it in 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 like few years ago not not like the, the article is like a year, year yeah. old so they're sort of going around this field where they knew the battle happened it was like one of the um de- like bloodiest battles within the war apparently and they found a mass grave of 47 soldiers and instead of excavating excavating it on the spot because they didn't want to sort of have it looted um, legally and things like that, they cut out the entire sort of soil thing. Around it. Around it Mm -hmm. and took it to the lab. And they never actually excavated, I think. Or maybe they did. But basically what they did... Did they scan it? They took a picture from above... When they excavated yeah. it. Do you see it? I see, yeah. Sorry, Aaron. It's fine. That sounds like an immense task to, like, hoist this huge mass out of the ground, though. Like, you'd need such a large space to excavate it afterwards. Yeah. So what they but what they did by sort of taking it away, they really took the time, and they didn't have to sort of remove the things. They just, like removed around so they created this horribly beautiful just massive sort of piece of like how how the skeletons were laid out and everything it's like a can you scroll down to it you mean the drawing 
And then they took a drawing oh, okay. of it. It's like a schematic of each of the skeletons, and they're all a different color. Yeah, I'll put this on uh, Instagram. Not the actual grave. Unfortunately, I can't do that. The, 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 the drawing. drawing. Yeah. And what is interesting about this is if you when you look at it, so if they were sort of doing it in the field, they would have to sort of they would excavate, they would take it out, a skeleton that they can, and then excavate more. So they wouldn't actually get this picture. And then if you look at it, um, there's so most of them are sort of lined up next to each other, yeah. and then there is one skeleton on top of it, sort of in a cruciform from it, like they're. Yeah, I see. Like their heads are spread, and it's sort of weird. <laughs> like there was like they sort of think that it might have been like that last person they put in. Just yeah, because I imagine everyone. if you just tossed a body in, it, it could like fling out like that. Maybe, but yeah. the other ones seem placed in because yeah. it's one next to another. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think these two might have been sort of shoved in a little bit, but most of them are sort of placed next to each other. Mm-hmm. And so they did. Uh, not like regular analyses that anthropologists do um you know of like the age and stuff and what was i'm every time i see like how young these people were it just shocks me like of these 47 soldiers five were younger than 20 like between 15 to 20 she's horrible it's like younger than the freshers that just started and when you look at them, imagine them like dying in a war. It's crazy. Oh, it's depressing. Yeah, people used to go to war really young in some places. Absolutely, they still do. yeah. 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 Like in World War One, there were people who were like 14 and stuff fighting in battles. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, well, I mean, like, even today there's child soldiery, which is awful. Yeah. It's just the worst. Um, it doesn't diminish your point, in- though. That it's no, pretty no, no. awful to <laughs> no, see. It doesn't. Um, and this one was interesting because it was sort of in the time where um, projectile weapons and like um, guns and stuff became more prominent in warfare. So you could see sort of all types of wounds. So you can see sharp force trauma, you can see blunt force trauma, but you can also see uh, projectile wow. trauma in, in these. Like most of them are projectile, but there's also. Clearly, they had like swords as well, and and yeah, wow. And sorry, I missed. You said the time period of this this mass grave was thirty year war. Okay, the sixteen hundreds, sixteen thirty two. Right, that's like right around. The... It's it's the war between the Protestants and Catholics in Europe. Okay. If you've ever so, who were these people? Um, do we know? Don't know. Could have been either. Because like I know literally nothing about that war. So there was so this was, um, an actual like Swedish king died in this battle, so it was sort of Protestants. So it was all over. So it was sort of the north versus the whole Roman Empire, and from what I read, like in this battle, like nine thousand soldiers died or something. Wow. Um. So I guess like on both sides, it was just very bloody. So I'm not sure. They might know because they found, like, pieces of clothing and stuff, but I'd, I didn't read the article properly. But I'd presume it was Protestants because they were in German soil. But not we sure. don't know. Okay. Oh, jeez. Yeah. This is horrible. But I have another thing that I think is really interesting about mass graves, which is kind of taking a more 
from the archaeological to what's happening now. Okay. Um, and I find this really cool. Um, there is, in San Francisco, there is this company. It's not a startup. They've been around for a while. And it's called the Human Rights Data Analysis Group. So they they use, you know, data analysis and all these really modern, um, popular things to help with human rights issues. And they um, joined forces with a human rights researcher from a university in Mexico City called uh, Jorge Ruiz Reyes, who sort of looks into um, the many mass graves there are in Mexico and the many uh, desaparecidos and all of that. And they develop like a machine learning program thing, mm-hmm. mod- model model to try and identify um, where they can find mass graves so they're using machine learning to identify places with what data um, so they the, the data they, they already have from like 2014 oh, about where they've been so, so yeah so wow. obviously because they're finding them quite frequently so I'm not sure if we can identify exactly the location like to the point but it can identify like with 100% accuracy which counties in Mexico will have mass graves and which counties won't. I mean, I don't really see into this statistical thing, so I don't want to say the wrong statistical words, but basically it seems to be very accurate on identifying like overall the location where you can find mass graves versus where you can't find mass graves and i guess that sort of narrows it down to is it just help so identify sort of yeah fine, fine i like so because they're looking at like different things they're looking at like many variables from like those that you can like you know predictable variables like um drug labs um borders with the united states um like ocean around uh but also things like highways um, academic results of primary and secondary schools in the county, county and just things like that and they put them all together somehow in the model to like identify which counties are as more at risk mm-hmm. of having these sort of tragedies happen and therefore having um, mass graves wow. that need to be excavated and identified. That was what I was That's great. I was wanting to ask is like what sort of variables are they looking at to predict where these mass graves are going to crop up because it was like i think that would depend on whether or not they're like mass graves there previously or just sort of the the levels of gang violence different yeah as you said so like, they look at everything so they look at also like uh how many mountains they have in the county like what the topography is and then they're comparing it to places where there were yeah so graves. so they, so they have the whole sort of data for like more than 2,500 counties in Mexico from certain years. And that on that, the machine learns on that, on those mm-hmm. models. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they can apply it to sort of predict it for the future. Machine learning's the future. Yeah. This is the second time we're talking about it on mm-hmm. this podcast, considering we don't know a shit about it. It's pretty impressive. Tech Kids Club. <laughs> That's going to be the title of the episode. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, did you guys read anything about like DNA in mass graves? Like the sort of no. with regards to Not victim identification? 
Um, I did. Sorry, go for it. I mean, what I read was based on a like a paper I wrote in third year undergrad that talked a bit about mass graves. Um, but it was talking right. about use, how they use obviously DNA to try to um, identify people in these uh, in these mass graves, but that yes. obviously there are so many issues with that because like of the com- huge commingling of of individuals within these these assemblages that it kind of complicates. Hang on, let me find it. Why don't they always use DNA? Well, and so in a um, lot of contexts, if you think about it, how easily contaminated samples are, mm-hmm. and if you have an entire grave of decomposing matter, yeah, the the um, samples just get mixed okay. up. Also, in places like so, in a non like war crime context, but like a natural disaster, if it's in a like a warm location, then the samples are degrading so fast oh so like there's all sorts of factors also, it's that very expensive go. yeah it's very that... very expensive dna i thought that was like a fallacy i don't know is it i think the costs are coming down for sure yeah but it's it's definitely something that is not always available and the issue is that like there are certain areas of the body that are good for dna analysis because yeah. they sort of dense enough that it doesn't get contaminated but when you have commingled remains you would have to sort of test every single piece which actually they i think they had to do that <coughs> with um um ground zero 9-11 yeah that's, yeah, they, that's exactly what they did yeah they had to they had to identify every single tiny piece so that's from there there's a lot of sort of methods telling us which um, areas of the body are actually good for DNA. Because obviously, even though they tested everything, not everything Mm. had actually useful DNA in it. But they had to try and test everything. That's also like a a sort of a closed assemblage too, where they have like a more of a record of like the people who are in the building. So they know which like family members to go to, to get comparative dna samples and stuff like that right? yeah but i think they were finding like bone fragments blocks and blocks away and like yeah. on roofs of other buildings and stuff of course i'm sure but that's the thing like you need when you're studying doing dna analysis you need to compare it to something yeah. mm-hmm. without having comparison it's mm-hmm. useless yes yeah. nothing you can do with it that's exactly um, the paragraph i'm on in my essay <laughs> so if you a don't know either who the victims were or the pool is just too broad that you can't you know yeah. like you know generally who the victims were but it's just so many people yeah you would re- you can't get the comparative DNA you'd have to rely on sort of like family members coming in and saying oh my relative is missing we think they were I in this area at the time yeah. kind of thing so it it becomes but that's like that's what a, they do anyway. Absolutely, it becomes like a much broader op, uh, sort of operation, right? Where people are, yeah, you have to sort of liaise with the 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 people in the community and sort of get their advice on things, and like that can help with identifying people. Like, just sorry, what am I trying to say? Like, 
trying to understand <laughs> who these victims might have been and like maybe you you catch something that's an identifying feature of one of these sets of uh, remains that you find just based on sort of talking to people in the community and yeah. getting the, the sort of broader contextual picture from them. The problem, the essay that I wrote, so the problem that a lot of people sort of mention is that there is this thing that when you have a loved one who, anyway, who have a loved one who died, but especially a loved one who died in a sort of tragic way that it's tragic for you, you, the way you start remembering them is in a much more positive way. Yeah. So when uh, sort of anthropologists and archaeologists and these sort of disaster identification people, uh, then I have to go to the sort of people, you know, who are looking for their loved ones, stuff like that, um, and try and get as many information as possible to help identification. So like height, uh, something to do with dental records, um, you know, trauma, whatever can be on the bone so they can identify them. If there are no actual medical records and people are sort of making it up, being like, oh, yeah, there are this tall, um, this is how their teeth looked like, they actually not consciously start making them more favorable. So they would for example add height to them really are there studies on that yeah or like oh. yeah like there was a lot of, a lot a lot of people that are very it was a lot of like personal experience but they did mention it yeah. mentioned several times that it's like for example the teeth they would sort of start being more like oh they had nice teeth even though like they would be you know they would have some work done but sort of the way it, you they remember them is more and more idealized huh and they're not doing it like on purpose, but it's just a subconscious thing that they start actually giving false information just because that's how yeah. grief works and things like that. Wow. So that's really difficult with sort of identification if you don't have any medical records yeah. and stuff like that. Some of the stuff I remember reading like years ago was talking about sort of the interesting ways in which just people like describing their their loved ones or whatever could give you these weird little clues like just oh he had like a bump on his head that may lead you to be like oh this skeleton has like a some sort of evidence of healed blunt force trauma or like a button osteoma or something that would make you you have a bump on your head kind of these little uh-huh. minute details that people kind of drop when you're just talking to them that could yeah. help you identify that somebody they, yeah they wouldn't realize it's like a thing that would actually be helpful to an expert yeah you're gonna have to cut all my audio from there anyways because like four dudes were just slamming doors and like shouting (laughs) oh god angry monks absolutely it's (laughs) it's hard work being silent all the time evidently that's your only way to like express yourself is to slam the door (laughs) yeah men can't they don't they can't express feelings no but they're having a vow of silence so that's the only thing oh. I could do. <laughs> I thought men generally. Also that. <laughs> it's just silence or anger. Those are the two emotions. <laughs> uh, that's all I could take of the mass graves. It's horrible. I guess one more thing that we can talk about before we go is the work 
Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Just put it out there. Yes. So people know. I'm running low, very yeah. low on battery. It's okay. Um, yeah, say it. I literally have one line. So don't worry. I mean, I can drag that. <laughs> no, you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's the way... Like about International Commission on Missing Persons because that's an important yes. uh, organization that works with mass graves and identification of people. And it was started in what the nineties um, because of the many missing people in Yugoslavia, former Yugoslavia yeah. after after the war in Kosovo and stuff like that. Uh, and I think by 2011, they have managed to identify just under 17,000 individuals just from Yugoslavia, from mass graves. Oh, wow. How do they, how do, they do that? All of the methods, from DNA to okay. anthropological methods to working with, um, you know, people whose okay. loved ones are missing. Like, it was like a big organization. Yeah. They just started focusing on that. But now this... International Commission of Missing Persons works all over. So not like they still have their own Yugoslavia chapter, but now they're like in Iran, Iraq. I think they work like in Norway, identifying victims of World War Two, like all over the place. Like have they've had like you know work that either doing now or they did before. So yeah. that's like so it's grown from sort of this tragedy that happened, and it's grown into this sort of and international organization that is um, working on mass graves and identifying victims in mass graves um, all over the world. And are they supported by the UN or something? How do they pay for it? I, I think wonder. so. I think they're under UN. Probably. So they're, yeah. their headquarters are in Gen- Geneva. Okay. And I think they're under the UN. That's good. Yeah. It's really cool. I That's my dream, dream place where I want to work. I think there's a pretty high burnout there. It I gives imagine. me a real purpose in life. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. seeing this sort of stuff day in and day out would be absolutely harrowing. Yeah, I think you need to take breaks, even if you are a forensic anthropologist, generally. Yeah. But especially if you're doing that, you need to. Yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah, like, granted, I can't imagine people do that job for very long. My undergraduate, uh, like, forensics class, we had a guy come in who had done some disaster response kind of victim identification stuff. Um, I think it was for the tsunami in 2005, maybe. Hmm. Um, But he was saying, yeah, like you're seeing like tons and tons of people like every day that it's just so exhausting and so draining. And like he, he was saying like he, he wouldn't want to do it for a very long time anymore. (laughs) So yeah. that, no. yeah, but you that's see the it's worst. so important to have people trained to be able to do this stuff mm-hmm. because of that. Yeah. And I imagine a lot of the people who work for them are volunteers. Yeah. Okay. We have to wrap up the podcast. Yes. Before I anyway, uh, how do we wrap it up? Oh, that was a downer. I hope you learned something interesting. And you learned the importance of uh, bringing to light these horrible war crimes so that people can be tried for them and victims can be identified and closure can be found for the victims' families. Um, (laughs) Anyway, kiddos, thanks for listening. Thank you. We'll see you next week. Um, 
We are getting stickers. I think oh, they shipped. Oh, shall we do shout out to the the Russian embassy? Oh, two shout. I wanted to do a couple of shout outs. First off, why is the Russian embassy in Washington D.C. listening to our podcast? Thanks for listening, Russian delegates. Delegates. <laughs> um, also, Mortuary Chem, which is oh yeah. Um, a really cool girl that used to go to UCL. She's listening to our podcast. I've talked to her on social media, but she left us an in, um, review. Yeah. So it was a very lovely review, five stars. So thank you so much. And once we have stickers, we'll send them your way and you can have a Dead Kids Club sticker gem. Mm-hmm. So, and that's for anyone who writes a review. And that's anyone who will write a review as well. They have to send us a screenshot of the review and their address. Yes. Okay. Kisses. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye, Aaron. Why has it stopped recording? I'm, there might just be a huge gap where I'm not talking. Bye.